may be seated. You may have noticed that I'm not over this completely yet, so I do apologize if you can't hear me well. There's a lot going on here at Community Alliance Church, some great information in your bulletin. Teaching time is tonight, every week. Ted is dealing with a really sensitive and powerful subject here on Sunday nights. We also, uh, if you've ever experienced a missions trip, you'll want to do that training session, an opportunity for you to find out what it's all about on Wednesday night. Today's the last day. Unashamed Conference last week was powerful, and those guys are gathering together in small groups over the next number of weeks to walk through that material. Today's the last day to sign up for that, and there's guys out in the lobbies that are going to be able to put you together so that you know where you're at and uh, the opportunity to really spend life and talk about some honest issues for the next few weeks together. Upstreet Gang is going to have a great family fun night on Friday night at the Taylor Farm. Today's the last day to sign up for that. Just a great, great time to spend outdoors with your family. This is my favorite time of the year. I mean, absolute favorite time of the year. I wish fall lasted for about eight, ten months, and then summer started again. But I love this time of the year. So some fun things going on, and uh, you'll want to be a part of that. So make sure you do. Next Sunday morning, we have the unbelievable privilege of having Martin Sanders here from the Alliance Theological Seminary. The book of Joshua is a record of the character of God as well as the people that he worked with. And there's some amazing stories of faith and others who missed something. And next Sunday morning, he's going to talk to you about what they missed and what you can pass along to the next generation. Got a lot of questions I want to ask you this morning. I want you to think about some of the answers and actually put yourself in the place of obviously some of the questions. If your life, your entire life, was on that big screen this morning, I mean, yeah, you, your life, your life, if your life was on that big screen this morning, is there anything you'd want to leave out? Anything you'd want to leave out? I mean, your whole life were up there. Is there pieces of it you'd probably say, you know what, I'd rather they didn't know this. I'd rather they didn't see that. I'd rather they wouldn't know that about me. Anything in your life that you would rather not everyone knows? Oh, is it just me? I mean, I got things in my life. I don't want you all to know. In my past, is there anything in your life you wouldn't want everyone to know? How many of you have those things in your life that you try to cover up? Or maybe just hide a little bit? Speaking of hiding or covering up, you'll never believe what someone made me for my birthday. <laughs> Got a motorcycle on it. Yep. Something I can cover up. How many of you have that one person in your family tree that when their name is mentioned at a family event, someone goes, oh, them. I mean, think about your family for a minute, right? You're probably the only one in your entire family that's normal, right? I mean, everybody else is like, well, okay, they're out there, but man, I feel like every once in a while, I'm the only one in my entire family that's normal. It's got my act together. All of us have people in our families who've messed up, who've made some bad choices, who always didn't do things well. If you were writing the story of your family's life, I got to believe there's some people that you may not include, or at least some things about their life you probably wouldn't include. In your sermon notes this morning, I had this statement that says, almost all of life can be wrapped up in your story and my story, their story and God's story, and how they're intertwined with one another. 
When I began in Christianity, I was fascinated by the people that God included in his story. And every time I read it and every time I open it up and study it, I'm continually fascinated by the amount of people and the type of people that God includes in his story. This morning, we're going to read the story of a fascinatingly intriguing character that many of us in our family heritage would probably leave out. God doesn't. And I think there are some things that we can learn from her story. It's in Joshua chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're in them every Sunday morning when we gather together. We're going to read the entire second chapter this morning. In a couple of weeks, almost three chapters with some unbelievable lessons out of those. Joshua chapter 2. Take your Bible out and walk with me through it. They're now headed toward the Jordan. Jericho's in front of them. They crossed over as we shared last week and we'll talk about it again next week. Joshua then sends two spies out to kind of explore the land. Remember I said to you last Sunday morning when you're trying to determine about the will of God to do due diligence? He does that. Go over, check it out. So they did. They entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. King of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent a message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken two men and hidden them. She said, yeah, the men came to me, but I didn't know why they had come. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Better go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. Really, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stacks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of Jordan. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up to the roof and she said to them, I know the Lord God has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for, when, for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God, God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear by me, by the Lord, that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she led him down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there for three days until they return, then go your way. Now the men said to her, this oath that you made to us, and you made us swear will not be binding on us unless that when we enter the land, you've tied this scarlet cord through the window through which you let us down. And unless you've brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family, their blood's going to be on their own heads. If any of them go outside in the streets, we will not be responsible. For those that are in your house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we're doing, we will be released from the oath that you made us swear. Agreed, she said. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. She tied a scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went to the hills and stayed there for three days until the pursuers that had searched them along the road and would now re return without finding them. Then the two men started back. 
He went down to the hills toward the river, came to Joshua, son of Nun, told him everything that happened. And Joshua said, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Anybody love a good spy story? You know, the James Bond, 16 of the James Bond 007 thing. I think there are 22 of them now. And the coming out somewhere down through the ages, the Mission Impossible. My favorite is the Bourne Trilogy. I mean, I was just captivated by all the things that were going on behind the scene. This is just a typical spy story. At least that's what it seems to be. Joshua, trying to do due diligence, sends out two spies to check out the land. When you look at this story compared to the one before, it does intrigue me as to why he only sent out two when Moses sent out 12. Maybe it was because of the response that Moses got from the two, but for whatever reason, now a different leader is doing it a different way. And he sends these two out to check out the land. Of all places for the spies to end up, they end up in the house of someone with less than desirable characteristics and profession who ends up being the main character of the story. It doesn't take long for the spies' cover to be blown, their lives at risk, as well as Rahab's for letting them in. She covers her own tracks, she covers for the spies, and eventually it spares their lives. She strikes a deal with them to save her own life. I'll help you, you help me. And then to me, in verses 9 to 11, she makes an amazing confession, and obviously an incredible observation. She said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, because of all who live in this country are melting with fear. We heard what God did. We heard of it, and when we did, our hearts melted, verse 11, in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God, God in heaven above and on the earth below. What intrigued me about this fact was the fact that she was actually more confident that God was going to deliver Jericho into the hands of the Israelites than Joshua was, which, by the way, is a really good reason to rehearse the stories of the goodness of God in the past. Because when you're uncertain about the future, you got to remind yourself of what God's done in the past. And it gives you an amazing amount of confidence for now. The story continues. The spies promise to save Rahab's family. They get away safe. They return to tell their story in verse 22 to 24. They come back. They tell Joshua what happened. Joshua said, all right, time to go. God's going to give it into our hands. Let's set out. That's a great story. I mean, if that were a movie, I'd buy it. You ever wonder why her? I mean, why, of all the stories that God would have included, why her? A lot of reasons that I'm going to share with you this morning. One, if we're really honest, her story is our story. Now, I know when I say that, you're saying not me. Matter of fact, I'm insulted that you said that. But if we're really, really honest and remember where we were and what God's done, Paul would say, remember, you too were in darkness. Matter of fact, you had no hope. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Nothing in this world you could ever do to gain righteousness, but I offered you grace. Matter of fact, while you were still in darkness, while you were spitting in my face, while you were still sinners, I sent my son to die on a cross. So just when you think that maybe that's not me and that never was me. I get it in regards to what she does. But every once in a while when I read these stories, I'm reminded that without Christ, I had no hope. Without Jesus, my sin was horrible in the eyes of God. And without what he offers, 
Am I receiving that? I'm dead. Paul said, remember, in Ephesians chapter 2, you at one time were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, without hope and without God. At one time, verse 5, chapter 8, or verse 8, chapter 5, you were in darkness. Now you're in the light. So what can we learn from her story? A number of things. For the first one, you've got to sit down while oh, you're sitting down. For the first one, you need to stop for a minute. I know this is going to shock you. But the first thing that came to my mind when I read this is a reminder that no one is perfect. At least not everyone is as perfect as we are. All of us have baggage. All of us have things in our past. I raised my hand. Very few of you did, but I got to believe that one or two of you in the room have some baggage that you brought into Christianity with you. One or two of you in the room had some things that maybe you're ashamed of. One or two of you in the room weren't perfect before you came to Christ. And her story is a reminder that all of us have what? Sin. How many of us? All of us have sin. And far exceed below God's expectation. I think that Romans 3.23, one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, all of sin didn't come short of the glory of God. I think that last phrase is one of the most underrated. We have fallen so short of God's desire and God's expectation that we can't even see it unless, unless of Christ. And every once in a while, I need to be reminded that I too was outside and I too had no hope and I too had failed miserably and nothing that I could have ever done on my own would have merited God's favor. But in his amazing grace, he offered me salvation and offered me love. And every once in a while, I need to be reminded that I'm not perfect. Got to believe that maybe every once in a while, so do you. I also need to be reminded that everyone in here isn't perfect. See, it's easy for an outsider to walk into church and think that everybody's got their act together. And everybody in here is okay. I'll never fit because I have all this stuff and I've got some baggage, so I probably wouldn't feel comfortable and I probably don't belong. Certainly everybody at Community Alliance, maybe in some other church don't, but everybody at Community Alliance I know has their act together. And, and so I won't feel comfortable there and they may not come. And her story is just a vivid reminder that all of us have seen and come short of the glory of God. Second thing that I wrote in your sermon this morning is not only are we not perfect, not everyone even understands us. People who don't attend church don't quite understand what we do or how we talk or the things we say or the reasons we say it or the reasons we do some of the things we do. Now, for those of you who've been in church all your life, and I've got to believe there's a few of us here this morning that literally grew up in church, been in church all of our lives. I've had story after story of someone said, I must have been born in a pew somewhere. I've been to church all my life. But if you have been one of those who have never been to church and all of a sudden over the last number of years, 10, 20 years, can you remember what it was like when you walked in for the very first time? You didn't understand the way they talked. You didn't understand the way they did things. You didn't understand. All oh, us all stand and worship God. I don't know what that means. I haven't been doing that, certainly. So what does it mean when they say that? They were to say, oh, let's stand and sing. I know sing, but I, I don't know some of the other stuff they do. How many of you know what a narthex is? I grew up, say, you know, want to go out in a narthex and, 
and, and fill out an information card. I'm going, what in the world is a narthex? We know what a lobby is or a foyer is, but we have all those little Christianese things that we kind of use every once in a while that not everyone knows. Where would you go and meet a deaconess? If you didn't go to church and didn't know what it was, where else would you run into one? How many places do you go where you take the money out of your pocket, put it in a plate of someone you don't even know, and they walk out the door with it? <laughs> Try to remember what it was like when you never were in church, and all of a sudden you're there for the first time, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. My father was Roman Catholic. My mother was Presbyterian. He left the Roman Catholic Church to become a Presbyterian only to come to the knowledge that he didn't know Christ and they weren't teaching Christ. It was universalism. We're all going to heaven. Give it your best shot. Till one day somebody led him to faith in Christ and he radically changed his life. All the rest of my family was still going to the Roman Catholic Church and we would go every once in a while for a wedding or a funeral and I hadn't, didn't grow up that way, but I would walk in saying, I don't know what to do. Do I stand now? Do I sit now? When do I stand? How long do I stand? What do I do with this thing in front of me? Do I go up when everybody goes up? Do I stay here because I don't belong? Do I repeat the words? What do I say after him? I know what it's like, and I've grown up in church going into some context where I'm not really comfortable. Every once in a while, we need to be reminded of the fact that not everyone knows exactly what we do on Sunday morning, and not everyone feels as comfortable as we do. And so when you invite somebody to church, and I hope you do that on a regular basis, keep in mind they may not know why we do what we do. So take the time to explain it to them. Take the time to make them feel comfortable. Take the time to help them fit in. I mean, would they know the difference between pneumonology and eschatology? If you talk to them about the Pauline epistles, wouldn't they want to know who Pauline was? Membership class, I say you can ask anything you want to ask. Doesn't matter what it is, if it's not in the book, ask it. If you're curious about what we do here, ask the question. And many have done that through the years. Someone asked, how does someone become an elder? And what is the criteria for leadership in the church? And I'd talk to them about Paul's writing to Timothy and Titus. Remember, after one of the classes, this young gal came up to me and said, I didn't want to ask this question in front of the other people, but who on earth is Timothy and Titus? I mean, is that somebody you call at headquarters in Punxsutawney, because I explained that to them, or in Colorado Springs? Is that someone you call to find out whether or not this person has any stuff in their life so that they shouldn't be an elder? Who is Timothy and Titus? And for the first time in my life, or for at least a long period of time, I realized not everyone gets what we get. And not everyone may feel as comfortable as we feel. So when I say turn to Joshua or Ecclesiastes or Philippians, someone besides you may not know where that's at. Help them. Encourage them. Make them feel comfortable. Make them feel like they belong. We need to remember every once in a while, that's what we were before someone invited us to a church. Now that I'm inviting them, I want to make them feel like they fit in, like they understand what's going on. We need to look for people every once in a while on a Sunday morning who don't seem to know what's going on and encourage them. So often we come together, and one of the notes in your sermon notes this morning is one of the other lessons we can learn is our reluctance to welcome outsiders. There are a lot of times that we come for Sunday morning experience and we gather in that group of friends that we're all familiar with, that we're comfortable with, that we know, that we've seen for uh, a lot of years or maybe we haven't seen since last week so I want to go up and catch up with them and ignore the people who are brand new. Now, it doesn't happen here, but I know in other places I've heard it happening where somebody who's brand new doesn't know what to do and they haven't been welcomed in yet and nobody talked to them but they seem to know somebody else. 
I said to people in small groups, and I want to say this tenderly and kindly, but you see your small group on a regular basis. Don't just gather with them on Sunday morning. Find somebody you don't know. Find somebody who doesn't seem like they've connected yet and welcome them in. Let them feel comfortable. Let them know that it's okay. Let them know they don't have to know everybody. Most of us will never confront the people that Joshua and these spies and, and they're going to run into for the next number of months as we explore the story, but we usually can spot somebody that is a little bit different than us. Somebody who may have some problems in their life, who may have some issues in their life or some issues in their past, who may seem a little bit different than we are. And we need to be reminded of that every once in a while to say, look, I was there too. And I was one of those outside of Christ. I had absolutely no hope. I didn't go to church. I didn't grow up in church. But man, I, I'd love to make you feel welcome and comfortable. How can I help you? What can I do for you? How can I make you feel, feel that you fit in here? How many of you read the story of the Gospels of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Any, any one of the four. Outside of the disciples, and there's not even a good read on whether or not that's even true, but outside of the disciples, what group of people did Jesus most likely hang around? Publicans and sinners. A motley crew if there ever was one. And what fascinates me about that is many of us would avoid the very people that Jesus hung out with. Many people sitting in churches and sitting in pews just like ours would avoid many of the people that Jesus hung out with. Another lesson is that God not only welcomes outsiders, but many times uses them. Through Rahab, God's going to confirm, as I said to you last Sunday morning, he's going to confirm of all people to confirm it through. He confirms that victory at Jericho is certain and it's going to happen. So how do we respond? Well, number one, we need to embrace and celebrate the idea that God works in all kinds of ways with all kinds of people. Helps us every once in a while to open up our eyes and see things that we may otherwise miss. To know that there are other churches that are spreading the gospel. There are other churches that are doing a great work. There are ministries all over the planet that are really doing a good work that every once in a while we would miss if we didn't think that God is working through them as well or maybe not be aware of the fact that God is working in other ways. Number two, we need to really work hard at times of getting past first impressions. We need to work really hard at getting past first impressions. Look beyond the outward experience and remember that God sees the heart. One of my favorite sections of Scripture that God taught me a long time ago is that story out of Samuel. When Samuel was trying to choose the next king and he asked Jesse to parade his sons in front of him and Samuel looks at him and said, oh, that's got to be the one. My goodness, look how chiseled that guy is. Look how tall he is. Look how powerful he is. Look how charismatic he is. And every time one of them comes in front of them, God continually says to Samuel, not this one, not that one, not this one, not that one. So he feels like he runs out of options, and he says to Jesse, you got any other sons? Good night. You paraded 10 or 20 of them in front of me, it seems like. He said, yeah, i got one little boy off somewhere watching sheep. But he, <laughs> almost as if Jesse said, Jesse said, no, it can't be him. And so he comes, and obviously, if you know the story, it's David. And Samuel anoints him, and then God says, as loud as he possibly can, look, you look on the outside. I look at the heart. Now, you all know I'm a motorcycle rider. And I dress in leathers, and sometimes I'm associating with people that most people would reject. 
And I've also found myself looking at people thinking they'll never be interested in the gospel. They're so far away from God. Good night. Look at how they look. Look at how they dress. Look at what they do. And every once in a while, God reminds me of this very fact. Quit looking on the outside. I see the heart. And they need rescue just the same as you do. At Life this year, we had a number of seminars that students had the opportunity to attend. Life is a youth conference at the CNMA every three years in places all across the country. Students had the opportunity to select a number of seminars that they could attend. One seminar was being led by a former madam, right out of the story of Joshua chapter 2, who someone recognized was lost without Christ, shared with her the gospel. She came to faith in Christ, and her entire life now is dedicated in rescuing those who've been in that trade. And the kids swarmed there. This generation, I love this generation because they're able to see beyond all the junk that some of the people in my generation has, has seen and ignores and thinks, oh, they'll, they're so far away from God, they'll never want to come in. I'm not even going to share with them. Good night, look at what they do. Look at how they look. And this story is just one of those great reminders to look beyond what we see on the outside and recognize they're a sinner in need of a Savior and we have the answer to life for them if we'll share it. Number three is just simply this. We've got to see people whom God has on the way somewhere, not as people who've reached their final destination in life. This too may come as a surprise to you, but not everybody in life is on the same spiritual plane that you and I are in. I mean, they're just not as godly as we are. And they've got flaws. I mean, you heard me read the story. The lady lied three times, for heaven's sakes. I mean, it's easy to ignore that. Be one of the things that most pastors would want to ignore, well, we'll just skip by that part. That was before she came to faith in Christ. That's before she really believed that God was God. No, she's a lady on the way. She's someone who's getting there. And every once in a while, I need to be reminded that not everybody is in the same spiritual plane, and I've got to extend the same grace that I've received to those that are growing in their relationship with God. To look at Rahab in the mirror every once in a while is a reminder of what Paul said, as so were some of you. Outside of Christ, with absolutely no hope, sinners in desperate need of a Savior, and somebody who was wonderful enough or loved you enough or cared about you enough to show you the way and point you to Christ. And now, because of where they were, now you are. Why don't you do that for somebody else who needs to be as well drawn in? It's also a reminder that if I'm not careful, it's easy to go backwards in my spiritual life if I don't continually move forward. We sing the song, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the Lord I love, but we don't, we don't want to ever admit that. But it is true. And if I'm not careful and I'm not constantly moving forward in my walk with God, I may end up going backwards. And this story is a reminder that I need to go away and continually move in the right direction. It shreds all my claims to righteousness and purity of thinking I've arrived. It reminds me of how far I've come since I first believed the gospel of Christ and that we were all prisoners pardoned from a death sentence and by God's amazing grace we've been free. It steers us in your sermon notes from our bent towards self-righteousness and reminds us of God's grace given to all of us. Every once in a while, Christians who've been on the way for a long period of time 
forget that not only were they saved by grace, and not only do they need grace every day of their lives to continue in that journey with God, but they also need to be people who extend God's grace. Christians can be some of the most gracious people on the planet because they've received so much grace. And a few of them that I've run into, for whatever reason, forget how much grace they have received. And for some reason, don't extend grace to others who are along the way. Not every one of them. I, I have found Christians through my experience in life that are some of the most gracious people I've ever met. They love to extend grace because they remember where they came from. They know what God did. They're thrilled with where they are right now, and they can't wait to get other people to join them on the journey. But then every once in a while, there are a few Christians that I've met who somewhere along the way have forgotten that and now can't extend the grace that they have received when someone fails, even after they come to faith in Christ and fail. We have been people saved by God's amazing grace, and we need to be people who extend that grace. Do you ever wonder what happened to Rahab? I mean, she kind of slips off the radar. It seems to indicate that she is saved in Joshua chapter 6. And beyond the general report that she lived among the Israelites to that day, she literally slips off the map until she appears again in another place. You know where that's at? How many of you know where that's at? Four of you. It's in Matthew chapter 1. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. I love that. Matthew chapter 1 is one of those chapters that we want to get to the story of the birth of Christ, so we ignore the first chapter or so, and the story is in that story. And Rahab appears in the genealogy of Jesus. I mean, going back to my opening statement, if you were to write the story of your family heritage, you probably would leave someone like her out. Jesus said, that's the kind of person I want to include in my story. And she appears in the genealogy of Jesus. She appears again in Hebrews chapter 11 in the great hallmark of faith and in James chapter 2 when James says, you know what, don't talk to me about your faith. I just want to see it. I know you say you're a believer. Let me see how it fleshes itself out in your behavior, in your attitude, in your lifestyle. Don't just tell me you believe. I'd rather see it. And he gives a number of examples. Interestingly enough, of all people, she appears in that story. So what do we learn? Well, I have three things in your notes for you this morning. <coughs> three things that I never want to forget. And I hope you won't either. One is never underestimate your value in God's eyes. Never, ever underestimate your value in God's eyes. Which obviously leads to the second one. Never assume because of your past he can't use you in the present. Never assume because of your mistakes or because of your past that he can't use you in the now. I hear both of those all the time. God couldn't use me. I messed up. I failed. I, whatever the issue may be. And this is a story of just simply a reminder that never, ever let your past keep you from serving God in the present. And never, ever underestimate your value in God's eyes. You are wonderfully and fearfully made in the hands of creative God. You may not feel valued by the world. You may not feel valued at work. You may not feel valued at school. You may not feel valued by your neighbors. You may not feel valued by your boss. I just want you to know that the God of the universe thinks you're awesome. He loves you like crazy. And sent his son so that you can have life and gives you grace and forgiveness and restoration, wipes your slate clean and promises you eternal life. 
That's how much he loves you. If you were the only one on this planet, he would have sent his son to die for you and rescue you. And thirdly, never look at someone and think they have no value to God either. Because God so loved what? The world. That he sent his one and only son. Never, ever look at someone and think they have no value. They wouldn't be interested. God can't save them. They would never fit in our church. Never look at someone through your own eyes, but look at them through God's eyes. Father, we thank you for great stories like this. And just amazing. I'm always continually fascinated by the story you write of humanity and your interactions with us. And I thank you that they are so fresh and so alive. Even though a story occurred thousands of years ago, it has so many things that it can teach us today. Help this not to be material on a page that we throw back in the Bible somewhere and walk away unchanged. But may we of all people be people of grace who extend grace because we've received it from you. In the name of Jesus, listen to the powerful words of this song. by the power 